We gotta go to the bullpen. Hi, it's Alan here. I'm the bullpen golfer. It was probably the sporting highlight of my life getting to watch the Masters golf back in 2013 for a couple of days. So tonight it's exciting that we're going to be chatting to Ewan McLean, a Scottish sports journalist who actually played Augusta, having won the lottery to play for journalists the day after the event concluded in 2006. This week in the Highland Bullpen, we turn our attention to the world of golf. Now, normally we talk about iconic sports stadiums. We're talking about Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park or Wrigley Field. But Augusta National holds a unique place in the American sporting consciousness. And we're very lucky to be joined in the bullpen today by Ewan McLean, who in more than two decades as a sports writer has covered golf at some of the world's greatest venues and has a pretty remarkable story to tell about his experience at Augusta National. So Ewan, thank you for joining myself and Alan in the Highland Bullpen this evening. Glad to be here. Next best thing to Augusta National, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly Alan's dressed for the occasion, at least. And I've done scant justice to your experience as a journalist for many years covering sports, a range of sports, including football and and golf, particularly close to your heart. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? And if you don't mind, because Alan's desperate to hear, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to play Augusta National? Yes. Um, well, listen, I was privileged to work for the, the All Record on Sunday Mail for 20 years on the sports desk. And, you know, it's, it's just, I don't use the word privilege lightly. It's, it's incredible to be able to go to Champions League games, football internationals, cup finals, for, for me to go and travel the world covering golf was the most enjoyable part of the job First behind the first tee of a Ryder Cup in America is, is quite unique the greatest thrill of them all was when you set foot inside Augusta National Golf Club personally and, and I'd probably speak for most people who ever grew up watching golf I, I, it was always such a thrill to be allowed to stay up late because of the time difference as a kid you, you were allowed to stay up way past your bedtime to watch uh, the Masters and it's still ingrained in my memory watching Sandy Lyle bunker shot at 18 with his 7 iron it's one of the greatest shots in major history let alone Augusta National history so it, it has always had a special place in my heart and I think it, the same can be said for everyone that it's just got this mystique around it to actually finally be told that you were you were able to go there was just an incredible thrill and what year was that you and when did you first get to I, to travel over to Augusta my, my first one was 2005 Tiger Woods won that year and it was lit up by the the moment that the famous chip in the Nike yeah. ball you know it was almost perfect the way the, the, the Nike swoosh just just stayed there and in shot before it finally fell gave way to gravity <laughs> at last and fell but it, it, the funny thing about this was because I, I was working Sunday Mail those days and it was back in the days before you, you had to, to work both desks you, you were a Sunday newspaper journalist so I've just gone through my working week Saturday night I'm done so I, I had the entire Sunday pretty much to myself apart from getting the odd follow up interview so I went out on the course strode out and caught Tiger on the back nine I followed him to 15 and then when he stepped on the 16th tee, I'm thinking, I want to be there when, when he wins it. And it's a fair hoof up that hill to get to the 18th. I'd better shoot now. So I ended up missing 
one of the most iconic moments in the history of the entire tournament. It's like, oh my God, you, you could hear the roar. But that's the beauty of Augusta as well because they've got those huge tall pines and every roar just seems to echo around the place. It almost shudders the ground that the roars are so large. So I heard the roar. I didn't see the shot until I got back in the media centre after he had won and after he had been given the green jacket and suddenly I get back and I suddenly realised what all the fuss was about and I'd missed it. That that was uh, from, from what could be described as bad luck there. Twelve months later, I got incredible good luck when um, there's a master's tradition that the journalists who are lucky enough to be going there to cover the tournament have a chance to get even luckier because there, there's a, a lottery. 16 journalists are pulled out of a hat to play the course the next day. And they, they call it a lottery for a reason. It's not a draw. It's certainly not a raffle, as one of my colleagues memorably called it once. <laughs> you genuinely feel like your six numbers have come up when you, you see yeah. your name there. The, the draw was made on a Saturday afternoon um, and I still had to file my stuff. I couldn't concentrate. Just couldn't yeah. couldn't stop thinking about it. Like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be playing. <laughs> Thankfully, I had brought out clubs with me that that year as well. Having having learned my lesson the year before, and I had to. <laughs> I thought if I come out of this draw in my first year and I've not got any clubs, so I brought them. So <laughs> I, I was ready. I was just everything. The planets aligned. The next morning, Phil Mickelson won that year. I was teeing off, and the the scoreboard was still there with with Mickelson and his winning score up there. And here's me teeing off. You can imagine the abuse I was getting back home from all my jealous mates. But <laughs> How were the nerves, Ewan, on that first oh, tee? How were the nerves? Jittery, jittery. The funny thing was, uh, let me tell you this, I stepped onto the 12th tee level par. Right. I started off the 10th. <laughs> so it's, wow. not, it's not quite as impressive as it sounds. At least you faced up, at least you faced up yeah, there, Ewan, yeah. we were blown away. I'm as, like, as but Ewan, but you're a handy, you're a handy golfer though, you and I know that. So what would be your, your handicap back at, back in Britain and courses that aren't quite as challenging as Augusta, oh, yeah. what would you shoot? I mean, I, I would be 12. It's around about then, I would have been about 12. All I wanted to do was to break 100. So, so started off the 10th, somehow managed to par that. And even more stunned, wow. I managed to par the 11th, which is one of the most demanding holes in the golf course. It's yeah, yeah. going straight yeah, into yeah. Amen Corner. So suddenly I get on this 12th tee, level par, thinking, oh my God, this is the greatest golfing experience <laughs> of my life. Uh, Should I enter the tournament, Ian? Yeah, yeah. Well, I very quickly came back down to earth with a... Well, well, not earth, came back down to, to water with water. a big splash, caught, caught my seven iron really fat and the splash, that, that was that reality bites. Yeah, you, you say that, Richard, I, I could enter the tournament. Absolutely could not because I was playing off the members tees. If I was playing off the championship tees, I'd still be playing now. It's just so <laughs> much longer. It's a completely different golf course for the pros. Yeah. Um, it, which is just necessity now, the, the way it is. These guys play a different game. How, How did, did I play? play I, I played eleven. It was it was just a, a good drive and four iron, which got me just just short of the green and short right chip, yeah. chipped on. Uh, you know, so right. so I, I guess I can. It was textbook the way the way to play it, not so textbook on twelve. And then when I when I got on thirteen, that that was a crucial moment because that was the first time the greens got inside my head. When right. when you race one. F- from four feet and it ends up an eight foot putt back 
that's when the greens start to really get inside your head. You're terrified to hit a putt after that because you just think, my God, these things are lightning. Just so, so fast and so undulating. That, that's one of the, the things that, that strikes people most when they go to Augusta. You will never, unless you're there, you'll never appreciate just how hilly the course is, how severe the undulations are, particularly the, the ninth hole which is like a blooming Big Dipper roller coaster and tails off to the left. Yeah. And the, the 18th is severely undulating as well. It's actually quite a tiring walk, especially for these former champions, past champions who come back until, basically until they can barely walk. It's it's really demanding mentally and physically. That, that was moment after, once the greens are in your head, it's pretty scary. And, and that's even with a caddy. The, one of the rules is that you, you have to take a caddy. Yeah. It's just the rule. But I was so glad I had him because if, if it wasn't for the caddy telling you where to putt, I, I would have probably struggled to break 100 putts, let alone 100 strokes. <laughs> yeah. um, I managed to shoot 96, which is delighted Brilliant. with that. Got away with it. The, the funniest moment, I, I, I do like to tell you, when you're so lucky, you've got to be self-deprecating as well and be able to tell the stories against yourself. The eighth hole, my second last hole, because it started off the tenth, uh, massive fairway bunker, it's about the size of Air Beach, this thing, it's unbelievable. <laughs> managed to, to hack my way out of that and was left with this, this long approach shot to the eighth green. It hit my shot. And kind of turned away in disgust. Oh God, I've hooked it. I've done it again. It's, it's, it's my natural flaw. I, I just naturally tug the ball left and it's, oh God, I've hooked it again. The, all my point partners and my cad are going, great shot. Oh, amazing. <laughs> great shot. Well done. Well done. What are you talking about? I was aiming at the first green. I'd got disorientated. <laughs> I was aiming at the wrong hole. And it turns out I've just managed to pull off this perfect draw. It's just coming fifteen <laughs> feet from the hole. Clearly, I was the luckiest man in the world that day. <laughs> Talking about the greens there, and whether I'm sure you can remember most of it. You in any any single putts than any any single putts, any birdies? No birdies. No pars felt like birdies. Yeah, it's just absolutely. And to, to par ten and eleven, that's God, fantastic. Is great. No, just just well, my standard and the level of difficulty of that golf course. Par par was a birdie as far as I was concerned. Ian, was it a favourite hole? Uh, one I enjoyed. I love ten actually, not just because I parred it, but it's just it, it's just such a good fun hole to play. Because again, that's one of the ones where it's massively undulating the the drop that comes mm. down. So you're hitting off that tee, and it's set for me. You know, it's it's a left yeah. uh, a right to left ball flight, and if you catch the slope, it just comes tumbling all the way down that hill, and then you're hitting back up onto another very strongly undulated green. I, I really enjoyed that one. I loved it. And you've got the you've got Eisenhower's cabin on the left hand side and, yeah. and some of the other residential cabins. But Eisen, Eisenhower's cabin, you know, the present former president of the United States was actually a member at Augusta and that's that was where he liked to stay. And it, it was funny, he he had a, a tree named after him in, in the seventeenth, Eisenhower's tree. And it was so dubbed because he kept catching it with his tee shot and he he uh, wrote to the committee and petitioned the committee to remove that pesky tree and they refused. <laughs> they refused. The pre I don't care if you're president of the United States, you're not president of this golf club. So 
No. And then funnily enough, it was a few years, just not long ago, I think it was about six years ago, there was a, an unprecedented ice storm hit Augusta and it ended up killing Eisenhower's tree and they had to remove it after that. So oh. Mother Nature did what President Eisenhower couldn't. Obviously an iconic and unforgettable golf course, Ewan. Can you tell us a little bit more about Augusta, the whole experience? Where did, where did you stay? What did you make of Augusta and the area? Yeah, I mean, the, the town itself isn't much to look at. It, well, especially where the National is, right behind it. You know, you, you think you're in this green oasis. Step outside the main entrance and there's this four-lane highway called Washington Roads and it's all... You know, there's a Hooters 100 yards down the roads, malls and things like that. It's just very, very nondescript. And, and even the entrance to Magnolia Lane is very, very understated. Probably deliberately so, because for mm. 51 weeks of the year, they are shut away and they, they don't want people coming and, and looking. So it's just that one week where the, the doors open. What Washington Road's pretty, I wouldn't say grubby, but it's, it's pretty uninspiring. But it, it was great... When I was there, the first time I was going there in 05, 06, these early years, the, the driving range was very different. And um, they, they had had to, to construct these enormous nets for Tiger Woods. When he first started coming there, he, he was the guy that blasted the ball distances that, that other people could only have dreamed of back then. Well, obviously, he's been completely overtaken in the, in the, the 20 years since then, but... He, he was hitting the ball so far that he, when he had driver, he was clearing it and there was cars swerving on, on Washington Road because <laughs> Tiger Woods' Nike balls are, are kind of rolling oh, a, along the, the freeway. So they, they ended up having to respectfully ask him to put his driver in the bag when he was practising. That's just been completely replaced now by the, the most jaw-dropping practice range that you could, range that you could ever imagine. And, and it looks like it's been there a hundred years. They're so good at, at just dropping things in and there's not a blade of grass out of place. It's just pristine. It's quite a historic town, actually. I, I stayed, uh, a lot of the guys will, will rent houses and that's the same for the golfers as well as the golf writers and the golf fans. It's It saves you a lot of money if, if you just kind of put your money together because mm. the hotels are so prohibitively expensive. So you end up staying in somewhere nicer just by putting mm. your pulling resources I stayed a bit nearer downtown and I, I quite enjoyed that because you started to get a feel for the place. You know, Augusta is more than just the Masters. Huge part of the economy, but the, there's a lot of history to it. It featured prominently in the American Civil War. Civil War, Obviously, yeah. they were in the South at that point. They, they were the bad guys. And so there's statues to Confederate soldiers. I, I went on a wee tour just to do Unseen Augusta for Twitter and I tweeted loads of pictures and tried to give a bit, mm. of, a bit of perspective to the place. And one of the most interesting ones for me was uh, the theatre in downtown Augusta, which is famous as the place where Ray Charles refused to play, pulled out at the last minute because the crowds had been segregated and the, the black community mm. had had tickets were, were forced to stay upstairs and, and they weren't allowed down into the, the kind of best best seats in the house or the best standing areas in the house. Ray Charles refused to play and then ended up being banned from entering the state of Georgia as a result of it. And that ban stood for many years. So that, yeah, there's there's a lot of history to replace, but round about the outskirts of the, the peripheral areas around Augusta National, it's just very, very forgettable. I was going to say that ties in with my impression. I'd, 
we we drove through one New Year holiday in South Carolina, and we driving back to the airport. We went through Augusta, and we stopped at the gate. And I was taken aback, as you say, by Washington Road. I think because Augusta is such a a pretty iconic, luxurious place, you assumed yeah. the town was going to be like that. You didn't expect to see Hooters. You didn't expect to see Wendy's and yeah. McDonald's and what have you. Uh, around there, but that's just that's just normal. They've built that golf course in, in a great, great piece of land, and it's an interesting part of the world. And obviously, George is in the news with baseball. The All Star Game is going to be held in Atlanta, but with the, the voter suppression rules that have been coming in, uh, MLB have this week chosen to move the game away from there. I think they're going to Colorado. And you, you mentioned Hooters there, Alan, as well. I mean, it, it, every week, Masters Week, John Daly rolls up and parked his motorhome in the car park at Hooters because yeah. he's got a sponsorship with him <laughs> and, and basically lives in the Hooters car park for the duration of Masters Week. Even now that he doesn't compete, he still goes and makes a fortune signing merchandise and posing for pictures yeah. with drunk fans. That's <laughs> a match made in heaven. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, well, that's John, a match made in heaven. John Daly in Hooters. Yeah. Yeah. John Daly is probably the only professional golfer I've sat close to on an aeroplane because he was just flying economy class coming over to the, the Open one year. I was in the States 2017. I don't think where I was flying. must have been flying back from Charlotte. And John Daly was there, just flying economy. And it was just quite bizarre seeing an Open champion doing that, but obviously falling on hard times and, and a man of the people. Yeah, I think that's, it's not just the falling in hard times thing. He is just so laid back and down to earth. I mean, I, I remember approaching him at Augusta and, and it was one of these walk with me interviews that golfers sometimes give. Um, usually it's just between the clubhouse and the, and the range. But but this one is like, yeah, can I, can I have a word? Sure, buddy. Sure, buddy. And he ended up, I was walking him to Hooters. I, I had to leave the property with him. So so we're walking and I've got the tape recorder and, and just asking him questions, just chatting basically. Yeah. Um, but ended up walking him to Hooters and then so I, oh God, I hope I can get back in here <laughs> yeah. to, to get my stuff. Just to give everyone a little bit of an insight, I've played golf for over 40 years. I'm currently playing off 10, having been readjusted on the new world handicap system, trying to find my way back into single figures. Whether I'll ever do that, who knows. I'm a member at Balmore and Crail. My favourite golf course I've ever played is Kings Barnes. And across the sea, I've loved playing at Kiowa Island as well, which I've been lucky enough to do twice. Yeah, I was going to ask a few questions about your round, if I can, as well. You and the, the 16th. How, you always talked about Tiger Woods earlier in the 16th. Yeah. Uh, you get your yeah, club selection, they, right? Yeah, well, well, thanks to my caddy. 16's a good example of this. When you go around Augusta, a lot of the time, you're kind of just playing percentage golf, assuming that things are going to go wrong. So it's just a degree of how badly wrong things are going to go for you. So if you miss it this way, you're dead. If you miss it that way, well, you've got a chip back on. It's a bit of a smelly chip, but, it, you know, so, so yeah. a lot of it's like that. So because you've got this this expansive water right in front of you, and especially after I, my performance in the 12th, my, my caddy was like, ah, right, go a club extra, just miss it back right so you're away yeah. from the water. And then, well, you, you, in, in theory, you, the water's in play for the second shot because you're chipping back down. But as yeah. long as you're kind of going the right way, and, and it's about using the contours on 16 more than most, actually. It, it's such a, a severely... Yeah 
undulating green. And again, one, one of these enduring memories that I have of, of watching the Masters when I was a wee boy, I'll never forget watching this one where Bernard Langer was pointing that way and flag was in completely the opposite direction. Like, what on earth yeah. is he doing? And the thing just horseshoed round and came back. A lot of Augusta, particularly 16th, is about missing it in the right places. Yeah. Sounds a very pessimistic way to look at things, but I think that's that's why that it's 42 years this year since Fuzzy Zeller was the last debutant to win at Augusta National. You yeah. learn to play that golf course. There's a few guys that have come close. Jordan Spieth, obviously, who we'll probably get to shortly, and he, he almost won it. He, he finished runner-up in his debut. The, the majority of guys need to learn that golf course and it's just about learning the subtle breaks that can found and also learning where the big misses are and where the acceptable misses are. Is there anything that stands out that you learnt about playing the course that having worked on it for two years in a row and watched on the TV for 30 odd years think, or whatever, is yeah, playing the course I, I, very different? I think you just appreciate the strategy of it. It's unashamedly a second shot golf course. Yeah. You know, you obviously, as long as you keep it straight, it's become a wee bit more penal off the tee now. The more of the guys have been hitting the hitting the ball a country mile and suddenly reducing certain holes to to a driver and a pitching yeah. wedge, then they they have tried to respond by lengthening the holes and also growing up the rough and, and bringing the fairways in, which is a bit sad in some ways because one of the great things about Augusta was always the the inventiveness of the recoveries. Yeah. Which is why Seve Ballesteros was so good there. It's why Phil Mickelson is repeatedly so good mm. there because he's inventive, he can get out of trouble and his wedge play is to die for. These are the things that should come to the fore at Augusta National and, and now it's less so. I must say, I really hope Bryson DeChambeau doesn't do what he threatened to do in November, ended up not doing. I hope he doesn't overpower the golf course and I hope that the, the subtleties of the greens is still the best defence. Was he not talking yeah. about driving over the trees at 13 as well? I mean, what was your tee shot like at 13? Did you get beyond the trees so as you then had a shot? Yeah, no, I, I laid up. You know, it's, as much as as much as these guys seem to make it look like pitching putt, it's still a muckle scalp to get, <laughs> to get up there. And yeah. then that's where, again, second shot golf course, you, you are left with that dilemma, do I go for this? Consequences are not good. Whether whether you're yeah. too long or too short, the consequences ain't good. So I laid up, wedged it in, and then stuck the aforementioned putt eight feet past from four feet, uh, and su- suddenly there it's it's in your head from there. But thirteen's uh, yeah. a glorious hole, and and I really do hope they they can find the the right answer for it because just adding length isn't always the answer. There must be a risk the course gets diminished in some way, well, you and well, you know Richard, what I mean. They've, they've already started buying property off the Augusta Country Club, which is right behind it. it, it that's one of the, the things that you don't realise. If you're standing on the 12th tee in Amen Corner, just through those trees at the back is another golf course, mm. and it is completely separate from Augusta National. But they've they've now actually started buying property, buying some of that land from the Country Club to give them the option of extending that tee further back sure. at 13. What, what about an 18? Did you, 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 you played a similar level as myself, Ewan, did you? Yeah. I'm, I'm not good enough to put the ball in the bunker, but you must have been tempted to recreate Sandy's iconic uh, uh, shot. 
Alan, I was aiming for it, and and any self-respecting Scotsman who does not aim for Lyle's bunker should be ashamed yeah. of himself. He scorted off the premises <laughs> immediately, um, and that yeah, I was short, which again just shows, yeah. you know, Sandy didn't mean to that. I think the adrenaline was pumping. He he did not expect to reach that that bunker. The the biggest demand on that tee shot, and you'll see it. They, that amazing camera angle that you have from the back of the the tee. You just, it just seems like you're threading the eye of a needle with these yeah. huge pines. When you're in the 72nd hole with a one shot lead or tied for a lead or whatever, how terrifying must that be? How intimidating must that be yeah. to just try and get it through? But once you're through, it does open out quite a lot. It's, it's very undulating. So it's almost a blind shot that you're hitting to the, to the green after that because it is so steep. Another great hole. And and what an yeah. amphitheater it is as well. The the way that they set it up with the, the crowds horseshoeing around and, and everyone's got their all the mas- masters patrons have all got their fold out, fold down chairs, glorified deck chairs. Yeah. They will leave their chair there all day. So you get your spot and you put your chair there and your name's usually if you if you've got any sense, you've written your, your name and a and a wee bit of card and stuck it in the they've got a wee envelope at the back of, of your fold down seat. So you can leave your chair all day. As long as you're not there, another patron is welcome to come and sit and rest and sit on your chair and watch it. But as soon as you come back, say, excuse me, that's my chair. Oh, not a problem. So it's, it's almost like the Germans, the, the, old, the old notion of the Germans putting the towels in the sun loungers. But I don't recall the Germans ever allowing you to sit in the sun lounger until, until he came back from the bar or whatever. One I'm not the, sure that would work in Scotland either, Hugh, and I'm not sure that would work with Scots no, either. Indeed, but it's one of the, the many charming things about the place, all these wee traditions and unspoken rules. Just a, a wonderful place. And of course, you're saying you and you'd rather that Bryson DeChambeau doesn't find himself being fitted up for a green jacket, but who would you like to see winning this year and who do you think will win yeah, this year? I mean, listen, don't get me wrong, I respect what Brian Bryson DeChambeau has done. I mean, the dedication that he has shown to, to basically build up his body and to take that approach. He's made a decision and you can see why he's doing it. I, I just think for Augusta, I think he's suffered enough in terms of the, the big hitters. Yeah reducing it to not quite the challenge it used to be. You know, too many of these holes you're now hitting in with short irons, whereas if you were coming in with a with a five iron, are you holding that green? Probably yeah. not, because especially yeah. not if it's running firm and fast. It's not what Alistair McKenzie would have intended. I, I don't have a, a massive problem with Bryson DeChambeau at all. I just hope that Augusta's defences still prevail. Who would I like to see win it? Well, well Bob McIntyre would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, but, but Fuzzy Zeller would... Apart from Fuzzy Zeller, I think the, the chances are Bob's going there and, and, listen, his first target, first and foremost, will still be in there at the weekend. That, that's got to be his top priority and to him as much as he can. And it's, it's just great that we've got another Scott who's got into yeah. the world's top 15 and is now going to enjoy that experience and... It won't be his last if I think the force is strong with that one. Mm-hmm. Everyone agrees on, on that. It's, Bob's got something special and he's got the temperament as well to, to handle. He's very laid back guy, very down to earth, doesn't get ahead of himself at all. So yeah, Bob Bob's time will come. As for this year, well Jordan Spees made a cracking run of it, hasn't he? I mean, he had a collection of top fifteens 
in the run-up to, to Texas and, and finally getting that win. And, and I think maybe more's been made of his supposed slump than was maybe due. You know, he's he's obviously yeah. not had the results that by his own standards he would have wanted over the last couple of years, but still, you know, he's still in good shape. He's still a great player. Rory McIlroy's a fascinating one. Rory in the past has been burdened by expectation. And he's admitted this himself, that he's put too much pressure on himself at the majors in the first couple of rounds, particularly at the Masters, because obviously if he gets this one, then he joins a elite club of, of Grand Slam, Grand Slam yeah. champions. But now he, he comes in with with that uncertainty. He's changed coaches. He's obviously gone to work with Pete Cowan. And as much as Pete Cowan's the best in the business, it's still a major sea change to be, to be leaving your childhood coach, Michael Bannon, to, to go and work with someone new. But, Perhaps this works in Rory's favour and that he finally, finally comes in Augusta National flying under the radar and that might just play to his strengths. I'd love to see him win it. I think, yeah, I think we'd all, Alan, I think as well, said the same thing. It's it's funny, you and you mentioned going in 2005 and, and Tiger Woods winning and it really did look like Rory was set to be, if not the next Tiger, at least the next man who was going to lead golf into a new decade, a new generation. And are we too harsh on him? Or as you say, the man's won, you know, like three of the the, the big prizes in golf. We've seen it with a, a number of them now. Since Tiger, Tiger's changed everything. He changed the game. But he's also changed the way that other golfers are judged. So everyone for years was waiting yeah. for the new Tiger and, and Rory was the new Tiger. And then Jordan Spieth was the new Tiger. And you're getting guys, and then it's Brooks Kepka. Guys who knock off a handful of major titles and suddenly they're expected to just keep doing these all the time. Chilling them out. But remember, Jack Nicholas finished runner-up in more majors than he actually won. And the, the field now is deeper and stronger than it's ever been. So it's hard for these guys. And, and when you look at Rory's major record, the number of top tens and top fives, it, the consistency is unbelievable. Rory himself would say it, he wants to win. He tees up every week to win. And he knows that as, as consistent, arguably the last two years have been the most consistent seasons of his life in terms of top 10 finishes. But he won't be remembered for that. He'll be remembered for how many majors he's won. And it, there's always a bit of me wonders just what might have been had Rory not burst his ankle ligaments playing football with his pals mm -hmm. just before the, the Open at St Andrews. Because that, that course just seemed tailor-made for him at that point. The, the place that he was in, the dominance, the, the way that he plays the game, that, that St Andrews Open just seemed his. And I always just wonder what would have happened because that undoubtedly stalled his momentum. But he'll get back. I've, I've no doubt he'll be winning majors. And, and even, again, it's similar to Spieth. He's in a slump, but by God, most, most professionals would retired, delighted to have the kind of slump that he's having right now. I guess you know, form is fleeting, but class is permanent yeah. and expect Rory's class to show through again, hopefully this, this coming week, but if not in the very near future again in the majors. You and the focus of what we do here in the Highland bullpen is we focus on other sports, but baseball is our bread and butter. So we've got to ask you, you've obviously been to America quite a few times. Do you know much about baseball? Do you have a passing interest or a favourite team? My first baseball game was the Seattle Mariners. I was on a, a summer trip with Celtic. They, they kind of went across America, started in Seattle, played a couple of games at the, the Seahawks Stadium 
against Chelsea mm. and Manchester United. Um, so we got some downtime and we went to the Mariner Stadium, which is right next to the Seahawks Stadium. Um, yep. And that what a setting that was, just sitting there and, and you've got the, the downtown skyline in the background, just perfectly framed. And I thought that as stadiums go, that was about as dramatic as it could get until I went to Pittsburgh. Oh, I, I I was lucky enough to go there for the US Open at Oakmont when Dustin Johnson won it. Their baseball stadium is stunning. Uh, it's right on the river and you've got downtown framing it as a backdrop. Although yeah. my Pittsburgh, my great Pittsburgh sporting, American sporting memory was neither the baseball nor the golf because that, that day I arrived, it was a Sunday before the, the US Open started and there, there were two pilots on the escalator in front of me just shooting the breeze uh, you watching the game tonight? where are you watching it? Oh, that game? what's he talking about? and then I, I saw there's a sign in the airport flashing saying go Pens Pittsburgh Penguins were in the final of the Stanley Cup and this was a mm. decisive game that night uh, it was away to San Jose Sharks obviously there, there was no going to the game but what they were doing was opening the arena for the watch party so you could buy right. tickets and go inside and watch on their massive screens above the rink. That was pretty damn special to, to go and see That's the Pittsburgh brilliant. Penguins win the Stanley Cup, uh, getting hugged by complete strangers. Are you ready to win the Stanley Cup? Yes, <laughs> yes. Why not? Yes, I am. <laughs> but yeah, That's all I've cared about for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, the P Pittsburgh Baseball Stadium would be very much on the, the bucket list if, I, if I'm ever lucky enough to get back there. Just as a very quick one as well, the, do you know the name of the minor league baseball team that play in Augusta? Oh, no, I've gone past their ground. Is it the Chiefs? Is it the no. Green Jackets? The Green Jackets. The Augusta God. Green Jackets. <laughs> Ewan, you have been a fantastic guest both across golf, baseball, and as it turns out, a bit of ice hockey action nice. as well. All, Thank all you for joining us. Yep. <laughs> fantastic. Ewan, thanks so much, mate, and, and I'll keep in touch. But thanks again, Ewan. No bother. No bother. Ewan, can sure. I ask you one last favour? Sure. Can you do me one wee favour? And if you don't close your browser window just for about 30 seconds or mm -hmm. so, if that's all right. Okay. The file's just uploading, but about 30 seconds and that'll be it, Ewan. But amazing. Yeah. Have a great evening, Ewan, and as Ewan. well. Cheers, guys. Take nice care. to talk to you. Cheers. 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 Bye. Alan, I know amongst all the bullpen bros, you are the biggest golf fan. This must be an event that you look forward to every year. Yes, it's one of two or three events that are, that are penciled in and you build your life holiday schedule around. I, I can devour every minute of it on the TV. Uh, certainly the sporting highlight of any event I've attended in my life. I was very fortunate in 2013 that some very good friends in the South invited me for a couple of days to, to Augusta. Fantastic. Obviously, Alan, normally in the Highland bullpen, when we talk about legendary venues, we're thinking Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, but everything I've heard tells me there's something special about Augusta National. It was an old nursery. I think Berkman's Nursery possibly was, was the name. So when they built the, the course, they obviously built it around the nursery. So you have this spring in the south, the, the plants, the blooms are coming out. So the timing of the whole event is designed perfectly to make sure it just looks fantastic. It's the only golf major that stays in the one course. I think a lot of competitions would suffer by staying on the same course, but th this place is iconic. 
I'm lucky. I've played all the open venues in Scotland, bar one of them, uh, because that's accessible and that's possible. Yeah, yeah, they're not they're not always the cheapest options. I've played a couple of championship venues in the states, but Augusta is just iconic. The field is smaller. the The audience, the attendance, the the crowd is smaller as well. I don't think they actually even release the numbers of people who get into the event. So it's just it's just something special. What's your first memory of the Masters, Alan? As a, as a young man growing up, a golf fan, what's your earliest memory of the Masters? My earliest memory of the Masters would be one of my sporting heroes, Jack Nicholas, winning it. But it was the one in the 80s, and it was obviously a long time after Jack's pomp. And I remember the charge on the back nine, and the back nine is iconic, especially on the Sunday afternoon. Seen Jack do that, and you knew this guy was a special sporting superstar, and to then to see him do that. I think Augusta allows that to happen. People who know the course, that the greens are difficult, the greens are tricky. And I was blessed in my youth with the European revival, Seve, Faldo, Woosnam, Balathabal, and of course our own Sandy Lyle. Uh, that was just iconic moments in growing up watching the game. When you grow up in the Highlands, you don't, you don't you don't really anticipate that you're going to be playing Truen or Turnberry, never mind actually one day getting over the, to, to the Masters and seeing it. And I would go to a golf competition for two days and you'd maybe follow some players, you'd go and sit in certain places. When I went to Augusta, I could pretty confidently tell you I saw all the holes. I, c- I could walk my way around the course. I could talk my way around the course from, from start to finish, never having played it. It's just amazing. We did the, I've, I've got it, Beside me, we've got my souvenir chair, the green chairs you see at Augusta. We left those on the 16th green one day, having gone around the whole course, cleared out the gift shop. But yeah, as you say, there is something unique and maybe timeless, I think, about Augusta and about the Masters as a, as a tournament. Who won that year you're referring to, Alan? Adam Scott won. I've obviously, as you know, I've got a decent collection of memorabilia and I have my master's flag from that year and I have it in my special room where I have all my my good stuff and it's that's top of my list for completing a memorabilia collection that any time and I need to get Adam Scott to sign it so if you're listening Adam I'm not sure if you follow the Highland bullpen but that's I've got to get you to sign it one day hopefully that Scott can look after another Scott then Alan and we can get that signed at We thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you and we hope you enjoyed that episode too as well. Check out some of our other sports and baseball podcasts on the Highland Bullpen. You'll find us on all the social media channels, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And we'd love to hear from you as to what sports you'd like us to be chatting about sometime. So just drop us a line or give us a shout. (laughs) 